0: Welcome to Foam Talks. My name is Viralva Berghout, curator of talent programs at Foam, and you're now listening to the new season of Foam Talks, Talent Edition. All talks welcome one artist from this year's Foam Talent Selection and one guest speaker with a shared interest or research field. Within every episode, we dive into the theme and their approach from which the artists will speak about their projects, motivations, and dreams. In this third episode, we welcome Kata Geibel, a Hungarian artist who constructs images dealing with global issues, capitalism, and the Anthropocene. Within the episode, we're joined by Shiloh Phillips, who has a background in cultural anthropology and philosophy. And as an educator, she focuses on the relationship between photography and society, as well as expanded approaches to the medium of photography. Hello Kata, welcome to Phone Talks. It's my pleasure to welcome you here today.
1: How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks, Mirabo. I just came actually from teaching a class and yeah.
0: Amazing. Let's let's start there. What were you teaching today?
1: And in what context are you teaching? Uh, well, now I'm actually doing my PhD, so teaching is a part of it, but I'm teaching at the uh, Moholino University of Art and Design. My uh, college where I did my bachelor's and I'm teaching now, uh, in the bachelor's program, how to make a photo series. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, that's the team. So yeah, I'm teaching the students how to sequence, how to build a narrative, how to think in a series, how to yeah, make a sequence of images and develop a series and the concept.
0: And what are some of those uh, elements that are at the base of uh, making a series? Can you give us a little bit of a a head
1: start to your course? Wow. Okay. Uh, Well, uh, actually, I... Okay. I didn't see that question coming because I just came from class and I was speaking to the students for five and a half hours about these things. Uh, I always give them a team and then they work individually on each of their projects. And when they have at least five images, we start to talk about what images are missing, what concept points are missing and how to communicate with images. And uh, yeah, that's the base of of the course and then we evolve every time they bring new images and then together with the students we have a conversation so it's not just me talking and being a teacher and an authority there but uh, really having a conversation together with the students and developing the work together as a group
0: yeah yeah and um Yes, of course. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like you're an uh, the, um, amazing person to talk uh, to about that uh, because for your project, um, there's nothing new under the sun. You also made a very beautiful, coherent series. Can you speak a little bit about that uh, project?
1: Yes, of course. Uh, well, that's a project I've work on, worked on for three years at least, and it all started with uh, staged images, And it evolved actually from that because I felt like uh, I need another layer for the whole series. And then when the pandemic hit, I started to write my thesis, uh, which became a book of its own. And in the end, as you can also see in the form Talent exhibition, I mixed the text and the stage images together to have, uh, so to speak, a Gesamtkunstwerk where I don't just shoot staged, cinematic, beautiful, nice images, but also try to break the silence of these images with words. And there is a juxtaposition between these uh, pleasing images and, uh, I don't know how to say it, uh, by the text, which is very straightforward and very straight to the point. And these two type of layers collide in the whole series and become one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, during our conversations leading up to the exhibition, uh, uh, yeah, I was very, very lucky to have heard you speak about both series and how they uh, came to existence. And uh, for me, it was very apparent that although they are, um, um, actually two different series they do really tie into each other Uh, and then uh, for the uh, presentation in the exhibition uh, I felt like we needed to show the audience that within uh, one look that they could see uh, both of them because one of the things that uh, I've, I've noticed speaking to people about your work and then specifically about the series, There's Nothing New Under the Sun, is that, as you said, there's this, um, yeah, uh, something enticing about these images. People feel very much drawn to them. Uh, uh, actually, yesterday I did a tour and someone was like, I want that. I need that picture. I want to have it. <laughs> um, and um that actually also ties into the tension that is something that is uh, um very important for you as well that tension between um making work selling work putting work into uh uh into the pub- publicity can you speak a little bit about why that tension
1: uh is so important for you as a person uh it right, has very personal reasons, of course. Uh, I was I was very lucky that uh, during my BA, I uh, my BA project was called Sisyphus, and uh, it was my last year in my BA studies, and uh, it was picked up for, by a lot of magazines, and I also ended up uh, having a gallery, even though I was really like three years into my career, and uh, I was exhibiting my work, Sisyphus at Unseen, and I remember this pressure that I, from my gallery, of course, that you need to sell because we need to get the cost backs and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I felt very frustrated that, that my images and my work that I've been putting so much work into uh, is only valued as a product and only is valued as. As something that would look nice above a sofa, and also I had this pressure from my gallery that I need to produce images that are sellable, and I I felt this strong anxiety about this whole situation, and after I finished that series and I I've uh, I've exhibited of course that scene and these things were happening I felt a great frustration, and I didn't actually. Uh, make any work for almost a year and i was thinking uh, if i should continue this artistic career or should i change entirely uh, my goals and then i decided to continue and i decided to speak about these issues that i was having with the whole art world and that's actually when i started to make the series there is nothing new under the sun and i also changed uh, as an artist i was making actually Uh, very different kind of images than in Sisyphus, which was a very scientific project. I only shot mainly labs. I was, uh, so it was a very dark series with blue light, uh, artificial light. And then I also changed uh, my image making process and I started to stage images. As you can see, there is nothing new in the sun. I used uh, natural lightning, I used different colors, I choose different themes, And my whole artistic practice actually changed after uh, that. And also, my silence broke. And uh, because actually, before that, I, I wanted to become a director. And, uh, and on my first day, uh, at a movie set, I realized that, no, directing is really not for me because uh, movie sets really have this hierarchy and the director is above everyone and they have the final say. They need to be this, uh, mostly a very extrovert person who has a strong opinion and, uh, and can hold the group together. And I'm naturally a very introverted person. And it's very hard for me to even speak up about things. And I realized that, no, no way i can be a director that's not for me and uh, and then i quickly changed to photography and but i see a every series of mine like a movie and i think it's super obvious and there is nothing new in the sun as you mentioned people are drawn to it because these images are very cinematic they are very pleasing they are um using a quotation marks uh, it's very beautiful and etc and uh But then the layer comes in that uh, you also have the written text, which is uh, not so beautiful and it's very like uh, a knock to the head. So, so to speak, and uh, it's very straightforward. And it's like a manifesto about all these issues that I try to communicate with metaphors, but in the text, there is no metaphor. It's only, yeah, (laughs) the hard truth and literal and yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I loved actually how uh, the series See Daylight um, in that way, widened the uh, frame actually of thought around your work. And, uh, spe- and for that reason, we chose to add um, some of the parts of your project, See Daylight, um, to the presentation as posters that the visitors could take with them. And uh, one of those posters also has a a text on it, and it says, uh, employers trade on the persistent myth that when we do something we love, the labor no longer counts as work. And I have to say that that is such a strong one, and I feel that so many people connected to that quote. And I was wondering um what discourse you had around this work with people that um
1: um got to know the work uh it's it's very funny because I think uh like 99% of the people from the art world can relate to that sentence uh very strongly because of course uh artists and people who are working in the art industry uh everyone thinks that uh, our love, our hobby became our job. And that's something that is very special and something that is amazing. And everyone should have a job that, that uh, they can flourish in and they enjoy. But also this kind of love language and the phrase that you should love your job actually becomes, uh, it actually opens up the possibility of exploitation and uh because if we think that if you love your job then your job becomes your life uh over time and unpaid job and unpaid labor uh, is a great possibility on our world and uh i think that's why actually people uh, who are visiting uh, for instance the film exhibition are drawn to these kind of posters and of course, there is also a juxtaposition that these posters uh, that are on the wall next to the images are free to take. And people ch- can just tear them off the wall and take them home with me. So it's also like, uh, it has this manifesti- manifesto like a uh, very strong sentence on it. And also this gesture that you can just take it home with them. And of course, the framed images still hang on the wall. but this you can take home with you. And uh, yeah, so I think there is also a nice play with this.
0: Yeah, I I thought it was um, a way to incorporate uh, ideas around community and more a counter narrative to capitalism and the individualistic um, society. That is a a point that that really ties into your work. and the images uh, that you made, the, one that are so, the ones that are so <laughs> enticing, uh, pleasurable to look at, um, I wanted to zoom in on, uh, on one of them. Um, it is an image where we see a white horse um, standing outside. We see a little bit of the landscape in the background. Um, the horse... Um, its eyes are covered and uh, it's a white horse. And when I saw that image for the first time, I thought it was very powerful. And the connotations that came to me right away were mostly linked to um, less romantic <laughs> <laughs> things that some other people I've heard speaking about because to me seeing the horse I thought about things like horsepower right away and and in that sense also labor um the way that we we speak about horsepower um but I wanted to know what symbolism was important for you when you chose to photograph
1: the horse uh well, as i mentioned every image of mine is staged so there is a lot of uh, pre-production that goes into every image and that's why i really need to have a very specific image in my mind and i also have a sketchbook where i make a silly little drawing of how i imagine the horse what lens to use uh, what lightning to use what color the horse should have what co- color the fly mask should have and when it all comes together i start to produce the image And this was actually one of the most challenging ones to make because I was very specific about the fly mask, about the feel where the horse is standing, about uh, the lightning that I wanted to use. And so every aspect of the image uh, is a symbol for me. And I actually really uh, can relate uh, what you said, uh, that it's about power, about being trapped, even though you are in a plain field in a very nice environment with uh, uh, white clouds behind you, but still there is this very eerie and uncanny feeling that this horse is trapped, even though it's in a plain field in a beautiful environment. So, I wanted to create uh, this tension where you see freedom, a free horse that is trapped, but uh, I don't really want to give away anything more about the symbols, because then uh, it's not so free anymore, the image, but uh, I heard very, very different approaches and what this image means, and I think they are all super valid. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And um, um, these images are actually the whole project is one that is, uh, uh, yeah, uh, a direct reflection uh, of your environment of our um the the micro environment of the art market but also more on a micro um, macro level um our society and um today we also have Shiloh Phillips um, um joining us and the two of you uh, met during the master's program of photography and society and uh Shiloh, uh, I was wondering how that, how that connection or that introduction with Kata and her work was for you. Yes,
2: well, so it's, I, I love to hear that Kata is now a teacher herself, um, and we're colleagues in this sense. But in the context that we met, uh, I was I had the privilege and the pleasure of being her tutor, and immediately what struck me about Kata's work in the beginning is, uh, her uncanny sense of the subconscious realm of images how images uh, speak beyond words and I think as she was talking about now this ability to break the silence was was something because she had been hoarding a lot of meaning in her work (laughs) there was so much going on so many layers already there but it was a challenge to articulate that to um to empower the images she was already making by you know, reflecting on the strategies she was using. So, so I, I saw her come in already as a, as a very strong photographer and grow incredibly in the ability to understand and position herself in the world of photography and image making in a very clever way. I mean, it's not an easy thing to critique a system that you're a part of. Um, and it's it's easy to have commentaries on the art market from the sidelines if you're a have-not, but I find it rare that when people actually enter the market and are successful and have gallery representation, uh, that they continue to be critical. Very often, the first thing that happens is the critique goes out the window. So I admire Kata's integrity in this, in actually um, remaining uh, curious and critical and poetic in face of these complex dynamics of power and control. So that's that's it's um, part of the power of introverts,
1: <laughs> I think, as well. <laughs> not to
2: put you in a category with many others, Kata, but uh, the um, to, uh, um, uh, an observing power uh, when you're maybe not too, too quick to speak, you also have time to think about what you're doing very deeply. And I see that reflected in the work that you do.
0: Yeah. Um, that's that's very beautiful. I can only imagine. It's it's great to hear this uh, in hindsight at that. But um, I was wondering it, yeah. um, during uh, um, this this course where you um, uh, was a tutor to Kata, um, you spoke about um, how photography functions within society and how we can use or how photography can be positioned to speak on these certain uh, specific topics Um, what were tools that you were trying to give the uh, those part of the master's program what was important for you to relate to them shiloh
2: yeah so photography in society was founded on a on a, a number of basic and fundamental questions for the field of photography going beyond what photography is to what it can do in the world how photographs can act, thinking about the whole life cycle of uh, of production, uh, uh, selection, circulation, and how, as Katya was talking about now, that this refusal to interpret uh, the images she makes for her viewers is also an awareness that a lot of meaning ma- making actually happens in the action, interaction between a viewer and the work. We don't actually dictate how people see images. There's a slippery escape that happens there. So to understand this actually requires bringing in expertise from other fields, from politics, from economics, from uh, different technologies, to understand photography and its cultural logic behind it, which is, I mean, it's an incredible medium. But as uh, Ariella Azulai writes, there's a logic to photography that's intrinsically linked to imperialism. Um, and intrinsically linked to this capitalist grabbing, capturing, taking, that you can turn a a subject into an object with the click of the shutter. Boom. And when you have this lure of commodification, a photograph is this, you know, it's potentially an instant instant commodity. It can be many more things than that. But the lure of photography into this market is of course strong. Um, At the same time, there's a tipping point where photography no longer became a specialized professional field. Everyone takes pictures. So what's the role then of the professional photographer in the, in these times? So in the program, we were looking at at this uh, photography in this expanded field, social practices, distribution, power dynamics, etc. but also looking within the image. What's going on there? What are different ways of reading images and, and increasing our, our visual literacy? So these are just some clues, but I'm... Um, another actually important part of the the community work we were doing is introducing feedback methods that make photography a conversation.
1: That's actually so nice you mentioned that Shiloh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because I'm actually teaching my students the feedback method that I learned at Kavika. So.
2: Oh, nice, nice. How does that work there? I mean, I think it's very often there's this deeply rooted um, idea that the intention of an image is its meaning <laughs> somehow and it's hard for people to realize that you know it's valuable to see what people see in your images even if it's yeah. not what you knew you were putting there
1: exactly yeah. and they are struggling but we are getting there
0: that... yeah <laughs> <laughs> nice. and shiloh earlier you mentioned that you um admire kata's ability to be critical um and that's always a I feel, a hard word, even critical, because I feel that what Kata's doing is creating space or holding space to have a vulnerable conversation around these themes. Um, So is that, do I understand correctly, that that feedback method was also like thinking along those lines, or was it something completely different? I would like to see that.
2: And I love the way you put that, uh, Mirelva, of holding space for these conversations um, there's, there's a potential of critique to be blaming and shaming and pointed and saying what's wrong with the world. And there's potential of crit- criticality to open up room for different voices to coexist, different perspectives to coexist. And, and I would hope, both with the feedback methods and the program and entirely, that for the field of photography, we can have an expansive view, a generous view that there's room for multiple ways of, of looking at the world.
0: Yes, yes. Beautifully put. I hope so, too. Shiloh, you have a, a, a background as an educator, a researcher, a writer. And um, in an earlier conversation, you told me that you're currently working on a book, a book that is tied to your family. Could you maybe share what you're working on uh, at the moment? Sure. So, I'm taking a break from teaching in photography at the
2: moment to become my own student. That's One of the things that happens when you teach too much is that uh, all of the creative energy actually turns into feedback <laughs> and it's hard to find your own creative well. So I'm, I'm taking a break at the moment. and So I'm working on a collaborative project with my father based on his uh, photography archive. He was a commercial illustrator in the 80s in the US and he has this fantastic and hilarious archive of reference images that he created using us um, his children friends and family and neighbors as his models in this pre-internet era where if you wanted to have you know david and goliath or alice and alice in wonderland or any of these stories illustrated you couldn't google anything and we were too far away from a library to go get reference images so my father created his own reference archive and These are images that he took that were never meant to be seen as photos. They were just for the gesture and the way the light falls. Uh, So this is sort of a photographer's, uh, sorry, an artist's sketchbook, his archive. And I'm working with and reworking these images to actually use this tiny vignette into my personal history as a way into understanding this, the imaginary that precedes our image-making pr- practices. And this is, I think, a, a bridge between Kata and I. My, my father would imagine an image and then he would go out and, and 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 try to create it and cobble it together in different ways. And very often in popular culture, all we see is the final product, the product which is smooth. And, um, and it's a facade. It's the su- superficiality that it's very hard to delve deeper into. And I'm interested in the construction side of images. What happens before that? And so this archive is one way for me of working, working with that. And it's also an interesting comment, I think, for those who are under 40 or even 30, who were who raised with the Internet always having been there. It's hard to imagine what the visual world was like and how large the world felt <laughs> not so long ago. So I'm also trying to uh, to dig into this uh, the ways in which the visual language that we're a part of has been swallowed by the internet
0: yeah and and uh, the title of the project you're working on is the way that light falls is that what The you way said? the light falls yeah yeah and i thought earlier also the, the connection between sea daylight and the way that light falls <laughs> is a beautiful one i feel it really ties into what photography does as a, a medium, um, the technical side of it, and the way that you both uh, connect to that process that goes into uh, really creating. Um, there was something else that you mentioned before going in uh, uh, more into depth about what the project is about, what you said. Uh, something about being an, uh, your own uh, teacher, if, I, if I'm if i correct. Um, and I was wondering, Kata, does that resonate for you, what Shiloh said um, about teaching? I mean, you're both in that teaching mm-hmm. position.
1: Yeah, I, I actually, I didn't imagine how much energy it would take uh, just to teach a class and just to speak for three hours straight and be there and constantly... Yeah, trying to come up with an idea when when our students are struggling and yes, but now I feel like I really need to concentrate on that part of uh, of my practice and I can always find uh, new inspiration when talking to students and seeing their work. So it also fuels my imagination, but I can definitely see that uh, I think I will need some break after this and yeah. <laughs> but i i think i also need like a very different hats to wear all the time because i can easily get bored with uh, one project so that's why that's why i'm doing five things at the same time like i don't know, teaching doing my phd doing assignments working on my art practice working on projects and so i can always switch between these hats whenever i feel like i burn out in one thing i can dive into another so yeah <laughs>
2: Yeah, I recognize that. I have this too, this um, real craving to have a change of scenery sometimes or different roles and modalities. And I definitely learn a lot from teaching as well. But at a certain point, uh, there, there's, there's an aspect of artistic process that requires you to show up and to figure things out. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that just takes time. It yeah. takes time and, and, and attention to, to come to that point. Yeah. I'm curious now, Kata, if I may ask you, um, where has this project brought you in terms of your thinking? We haven't talked in a while. I'm curious what what you've learned from you know, publishing this, working on your thesis and sharing it with the world. What insights have you gained?
1: Uh, well, I was actually overwhelmed by the positive feedback I got and especially the feedback that people can relate to. And... Uh, they are coming to me and saying that somebody finally speaks up and oh my God, I can relate to this so much. And it's so nice to read all those things that I'm going through and things like, I thought it's only me and, but you also struggle. And, uh, so to see that, uh, people are really, uh, having a reaction to the whole work and, and not just about the nice images, but about the text and, uh, yeah. I just feel like, yeah, what what keeps me going is this feeling that uh, even if it's on a very small level, but if, if one person actually thinks about these issues, that's even enough for me. And uh, I can actually feel the, it's a big word, but the impact that uh, this work can have. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's something we've been talking a lot about in the program was impact, which is thinking not only about the production side of your work, but how it works in the world, what conversations you want to start, what communities it's relevant for. And one of the things I find really interesting in in the work you have here is the tension you have between the visuals and the text, as you were talking about. Very often when people use image and text, the text explains the image (laughs) and somehow, or it comments or tells you what you should be seeing or what you already see. And that's kind of a boring way of using text, let's say, Um, but you seem to be uh, showing one thing and then saying another thing.
1: Uh, Why do you do that? Well, it has different, because uh, there is a juxtaposition and ambiguity also with my staged images and the text, but also in the posters that you can see in the exhibition. For instance, the text that says employers trade on the persistent meat, that when you do something we love, that labor no longer constitutes work. Oh my god I just uh, remember it like okay so and the image is actually a Pina Bausch performance where uh, she's hugging a man in a suit and also the text is actually quite off with, uh, with the collage and uh, so I I don't um, so there is also a juxtaposition between and a tension between that text and the image that we see and it's throughout the whole book and it's throughout the whole series I think I'm just actually very drawn to ambiguity and 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 this tension. And uh, if you collide these kind of things, there can be a, a third meaning coming from it. But if you just repeat the same thing, and uh, there is nothing that can evolve from that. So I think with every gesture of with that like that, I'm making a third meaning, or at least I try to. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And I also like what you say about breaking the third wall, right, because, uh, or the fourth wall, not the third yeah, wall, yeah. the fourth wall. <laughs> um, because, um, you know, very often one of, the, one of the things that can happen in an exhibition or in a book is that the spectator, it can be a voyeur. You're yeah. just looking on, you're not part of this, you're not complicit anyway. And with these kind of texts, you're talking to the the reader. Yes. You're talking yep. to the viewer. And they're like, whoa, I'm part of this work. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and actually, I'm also talking to myself and at, to myself and to the reader and to everyone. So it's like a little bit schizophrenic, but yeah.
0: I, I felt a, a sort of collision between uh, the, the intention and then um, the impact of those images. And then there's this space in which you as a viewer exist and then have to... Uh, Um, incorporate yourself within it so I really yeah that's one of the reasons why um, we talked about adding a table and the chairs that the space for that interaction we're actually inviting the viewer we say stay a little bit longer (laughs) read a little bit more Um, but
2: it does it does take that though because um, you could Potentially misread the images on a superficial la- layer only and buy it for above your couch, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, it does have the sofa quality, <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> You know, uh, and and yet when you dig deeper, uh, there's this uncanny thing that seeps out, and I think this is this uh, ability to attract people and then make them think uh, is easier than when uh, when the revolution we're looking for is already pointing fingers and sending
0: people away. So it's inviting. Yeah, I love how it operates on those both layers where the image can um, grow um, on you. That even if you buy it for above your couch, (laughs) maybe in another uh, part of your uh, own development life, you name it, you can view it within another context uh, uh, again. Yeah, exactly, um, and that's
1: also actually what I wanted to uh, accomplish. That's a big word, but but I wanted to create together with my uh, publishing house Void when I was making my photo book for the series, that uh, these are nice images and they could easily be made into a table book with a huge size, limited edition. Like super nice paper. And uh, when I pitched my project to t- to Void Publishing House, I said to them, I know that this could be easily a MacBook, but I don't want to create that. I want to have also the text within and I want to uh, also comment on the whole capitalist idea of the book and make it witty and make it funny and make it self reflective. And uh, yeah, that's also what you can uh, see in the photo book that it's still not just the images, but uh, the text and the images uh, colliding and uh, creating a fourth or a fifth or a hundredth meaning, yeah.
2: And it's not an easy thing to do to make um, a, crit- a deep critique of capitalist market systems and neoliberalism be funny and attractive. Yeah. <laughs> so, and also, I mean, of it's, course, it's, the it's outcome is a product. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's rare, and you're also complicit in that, right in yeah, the end, exactly. Yeah, it's still a business model. So how how yeah. do you how do you juggle this, uh, let's say, capitalization of critique
1: that happens? Yeah, I constantly had a cognitive dissonance when I was making the work. Yeah,
0: Charlotte, you you have a background and more also a philosophical background, and I was wondering in terms of photography, and. The, changing uh technologies and options is there anything that that you're seeing like a interesting wave or something on that um on that topic
2: i mean absolutely one of the one of the fascinating things of the past 10 years that i've seen is the emergence of extremely high resolution virtual worlds where you can create anything you can imagine and more that looks so photorealistic, and I find this really interesting. I find the um, uh, the, the the use of photography as a skin for a computer model um, to 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 make these unreal worlds become real, uh, virtual reality, uh, all kinds of video games. This this is a this is a, a domain in, that's not separate from the physical reality. doesn't doesn't replace it, but it's a whole new field. That I find really fascinating to look at, and this is also the field where the cultural imagination of the future is is taking place. And I do think that it's a shame if the only people working on this cultural imaginary are the commercial game designers and the you know the the, the slick um, reality that makes you forget and escape from the daily life we're a part of. So I do see, and it's it's not necessarily new. There's been this this v- pulled to the virtual virtual for a long time. In some ways, you can say photography already is that. Yes. Yeah. Yep. It already has this um, mechanical element to it. Um, but this immersion, there's no edge anymore. You're in, the, you're in a world. You can look in all directions. You're using all these senses. I I look at this with a mix of suspicion
0: and curiosity. <laughs> that, Shouldn't we all? I guess <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. we have to stay. Critical in that sense, but yeah,
2: yeah. But I find this this is definitely interesting. And I also think you know, we're st- we're st- we are in the let's say the the heyday of platforms. Right now, so many people and who are cultural workers, photographers, artists are use these social media platforms like Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook. Uh, for those who are over a certain age, <laughs> um, but these plat the platformization. Where you actually don't own the means of distribution, you have no influence on the formatting or the algorithm behind this. It's, it's, everybody knows it, and still every, almost everybody uses it. I've been on an Instagram fast for a year now. I just I lurk sometimes, but I don't post, and I find it really interesting how. People don't know what I'm doing anymore. <laughs> people used to know what I was thinking or saying or reading. And now I meet someone and they'll have to ask, what are you thinking? What's going on right now? What's, what's happening? Because they haven't seen my daily feed. In, I mean, in the times I used to be quite o- active on social media, random people I would meet would know all kinds of things that I had for dinner mm-hmm. two weeks ago on my holiday. Yeah, yeah. And I said, you know what, I don't want to be this public. I don't, and so so I'm am I'm, I'm on this experiment now to like what is it, what does it mean to have uh, a private life in this hyper public view, and what does it mean to turn yourself into a commodity, or inf- information commodity? Yeah. So yeah. so I, these are kind of, kind of things I'm thinking about, um, and also there's the I mean another side of this is the whole rise of NFTs and Web three blockchain technologies for, finally finally after you know. Um, uh, centuries of working with copies, there's this possibility of an encryption that tells us which one is which one. This uniqueness has been reintroduced to the copied world. And this is quite a, uh, uh, has quite some far flung implications mm-hmm. for the world we
0: live in. Shall I keep on going? I have. Well, uh, <laughs> no, yeah, no, it's because I heard you say, say like, we don't have um, the means to influence. When's the platforms and yet we're speaking about influencer culture and something that I think is uh, uh, interesting. And sometimes I'm a little bit annoyed by it is how there's so much talk about community when we speak about uh, social media. <laughs> and I just know Shiloh that you have something uh, or I, I think you might have something interesting to say about that too. So I I would love to hear it. Yeah, I think the The word community has come very diluted
2: in the age of social media, just like the word friends. You know, community ultimately is about uh, reciprocity—that you're able to uh, share and give and take in different ways. About twenty years ago, when I first started re- researching the ethics of war photography, I really, I really found this very perverse mechanism that we, we consume so many images of suffering of people we don't know, we don't have a relationship with. And I made a vow to only consume, let's say, only to look at images in which I'm willing to engage in a relationship with those being depicted and those taking pictures. Which means I'm on a media diet, right, because I, I don't want to consume more than I can actually relate to. Uh, but this also means I take this relationality very seriously in my practice. Um, if you're uh, fleeing from war and we're in contact, I will come get you. Uh, I've Recent recent examples, a group of uh, students of mine from Afghanistan got stuck in Ukraine and I, I drove there, I got them. And so this, this relationality uh, for me is the willingness to show up, to care about each other's um, predicament, um, to say your suffering is my suffering, um, to see these as shared problems uh, or as is famously been said, you know, if, if one person's not free, no one is free. Uh, this is, for me, community is based on solidarity and actual uh, relationships. And these relationships include relationships with more than humans. It's not only humans to think about, it's the natural world we're part of. And also the care for these new sentient AI beings we've put into being. <laughs> <laughs> I, I find it really interesting to think about the world in, in, in terms of relationships that we're building. So that's, that's the first thing I would say. I can go on and on about wow. community. But, wow. but, but let me say, ultimately, ultimately the point being, uh, the way the, the, the economic and media systems we are part of are constructive create the illusion of powerlessness. And I think it's very important to be aware that we have much more influence than we think we do not as the influencer-influency thing of Instagram, <laughs> but the the uh, uh, we create the world we're a part of. We have a say in this, a, a much larger say than people are often aware of. And I think we need to ask the question of what kind of world we want to live in together.
1: Yeah. Yeah, together, that's yeah. the point, yeah.
0: Yeah, to be in community with each other instead of just speaking about communities. Um, and and therefore creating the impact with what we do um, in a way that the project that Kata did, uh, you felt that impact from those that interacted with it. Um, so I think that's very beautiful. There, there's this question that's been in my mind for a while, and, um, and it's just a, a simple question. I wanted to ask Kata what are you working on at the moment? And then I thought, but now I'm also buying into that whole structure of you know, capitalism, staying busy and... Are you productive, Kata? Are you being productive? <laughs> <laughs> and yet, maybe I should just ask, um, just as Shiloh just mentioned in, in what you said, like what has your attention or what are you
1: thinking of, Kata? What things have your attention at the moment? Uh, well, now, uh, I'm taking a break, uh, from being a Trojan horse and now I'm working on a new project, uh, which is about embracing, uh, and, uh, finding pleasure in, uh, making art again and, uh, and embracing the failures, embracing the images that didn't come out perfect, embracing the whole, uh, production, not production, because that's a. I will find another word, the whole creation, the process, uh, the process, the process. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that goes into creating uh, my visions and my images and uh, embracing those failures and putting them out there and putting also my sketches and the creation of the whole process also becomes the project itself. So that's where what I'm doing right now. And the basis of the project is a T.S. Eliot poem called for Quartets which is about cyclical time. I love this poem. Yeah, it's my favorite one. It's my favorite one. <laughs> so that's the base of the project. I know it by heart, actually. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Now, Shiloh, please, will you quote a part from the poem for us? <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, maybe from Wasteland. Yep. Hang on. Uh I'm sorry to put you on the spot like that, I didn't mean to, but I thought it was such a beautiful uh, moment that just happened here. April is the
2: cruelest month. Breeding lilacs out of the dead land. Mixing memory and desire. Stirring dull roots with spring rain. Winter kept us warm. Covering earth in forgetful snow. Feeding a little life with dry tubers. Summer surprised us, coming over, this Darnberger say, with a shower of rain. We stopped in the colonnade and went on in sunlight into the Hofgarten and drank coffee and talked for an hour. (laughs) Bin gar kein Russen, stammt aus Litauen, echt deutsch. And when we were children, staying at the Archdukes, my cousin, he took me out on a sled and I was frightened. He said, Marie, Marie, hold on tight. And down we went, in the mountains, there you feel
0: free amazing. I have to say this was not studied. (laughs) We (laughs) didn't plan this. It was amazing. And I think if correct that that the artist, no, that the the artist Gregory Edie Jones would also be very excited about this. He he also did a project around it. Um, So um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm flying to um, New York.
2: So that's, uh, it's in also going off leaving the Netherlands. Yeah, exactly. The the um, You know, the places we're from always shape the way we see the world in such a deep way. The landscape, the things you saw before is what you notice again. And it's only as I come to a certain age that I'm starting to realize how strange my upbringing was. And I need to go back and revisit that to be able to to see what I haven't been noticing,
0: in a way, if I may share what has my attention at the moment, it's yes, something please. that uh, Shiloh, you also mentioned that um, uh, thinking about the future and um, that that, in a way, uh, world building. I've been very interested in uh, sci-fi. Lately, or more, more particularly, speculative fiction, and I've been reading everything that is Octavia E. Butler, um, but also looking back at Ursula Le Guin and just that whole in, in like universe, that environment. I, I see Shiloh pointing at her amazing wall of, of books. <laughs> no, we have a
2: shared love of 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 speculative fiction. I think it's really. I was thinking about this a lot today, for example, with light, you know, there's light as a natural phenomenon, but there's also the light that is imagined in and through video games and how light can actually take on different qualities and another world is possible. The only way we can dream that into being is is like working through this together and i i really turn to these authors like octavia butler and ursula again when it comes to the crisis of the imagination because that's this is often said about capitalism it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end yeah. of capitalism yeah so the, it's a crisis of imagination and when we have a crisis of imagination we need to feed that you know with whatever we can find to
1: Yeah, the problem is not just that uh, we don't really see a future anymore, but that we we can't even imagine one. So, yeah.
0: I feel like we're all kind of biting our tongues (laughs) because we can go on and on and on about this. Um, But I will take this moment to thank you both for this amazing conversation. And I hope we will be in community uh, from this point on and uh, exchanging uh, ideas and conversation. Um, Thank you, Kata. Thank you, Shiloh. Thank you. Thank you, Shiloh. Thank you. (laughs) the conversation. I'm so excited. Yeah, me too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Can we just keep on talking after the (laughs) podcast is over?
0: (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of Foam Talks. The work of Kata Geibel will be on display at Foam as part of the Talent Exhibition until the 18th of January, 2023. This episode of Foam Talks was brought to you as a part of the Foam Talent Program. The Foam Talent Program and the annual talent issue of Foam Magazine are supported by the Deutsche Bursa Photography Foundation. As always, keep an eye on our social media for the next episode. Until next time!